0: And that led us kind of on a whole journey. We began to get involved in orality. And orality is not, I don't mean morality, had people ask me that. It's, it's a orality in the sense of what, it's just the, the communication via the spoken word. And it always involves, the spoken word always involves an embodied person. And so you have people coming together to try and communicate. So anyway, we began to explore how do we make disciples using orality and oral tools like storytelling. How do we stay faithful to Scripture? These aren't fairy tales. We have a high view of Scripture. We don't want to be fast and loose and kind of add in some color just to make it more fun. That's not what we're talking about. So anyway, that became a long, long journey. And, uh, and God led us in a lot of ways and we made we had so much fun, learned t- t- stacks from our Ugandan friends. And, uh, but out of that, God really blessed it, and it was neat to see how they began to pick up some of those tools. We ended up we'd got to go to Scotland and do some more research. On, on, on orality and things like storytelling. Um, God took us back to Uganda, and then just in February of this year, God kind of called us up from Uganda, which was very difficult for the whole family, um, and we found ourselves living in Kentucky, which is another kind of mission field. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. Um, it's been, there's a certain level of humiliation. If you've been a missionary for the better part of 20 years, and you've been an African missionary, you know, that's kind of cool to some people. Um, being a missionary based in Kentucky, it's like, people don't know what to do with that. It's like, well, that's weird. Um, but it's true. That's where God has us. And instead of doing orality and kind of what we were doing there, just in Uganda, our organization has asked us to kind of step into a larger role and develop some resources for orality and help train our missionaries in orality and kind of helping them develop communication strategies that will actually be as effective and as fruitful as possible. And uh, John 15 tells us Jesus is interested in much fruit. And so what do we do? How do we overcome communication barriers? And what we're finding is now today, you say, Billy, you know, a lot of people can read here. That's not an issue for us. It's interesting. What we found is a lot of the characteristics of what we would think of as people that are oral preference communicators that either can't read or don't like to read. We're finding those characteristics... Are showing up more and more among your digital oral communicators. They love story. They don't want want abstract, they want concrete. They want participation, they want dialogue, they want imaginative engagement, they want visual. All of those are oral characteristics or characteristics of oral communicators and it's showing up more and more in our digital communicating era. So I think there's a lot of crossover, and it's our job to come alongside folks like pastors of churches, other church leaders, and also other missionaries and say, how can we help you develop the communication strategies that are going to best serve the people you're trying to reach? And one of the things that's tricky about it is sometimes it means I have to step out of my comfort zone or my preferred way of communicating and communicate in a way that's going to be effective with the people I'm trying to reach. Does that make sense? So I, we'd love you to be a part of what we're doing. Um, we are based in Kentucky for this next year. I thought I had a prayer card. Um, well, Elsie, can I? Oh, right here. Here I go. Um, Marshall mentioned, we've got a little, just in the back on that little table back there, they would love for you to sign up for the Chili supper. just a reminder. Right there, back there. Um, But then also beside that is just a place, we would love for you to sign up. If you're interested in getting some of our updates and kind of what God's opening up for us, we'd love, if you're interested in more about learning about orality and storytelling, sign up for that. Um, We'd love you to be a part of our team financially. You can give online. That'd be a huge help for what God's called us to do. Um, We'd love you to pray for us and uh, transition in five kids from a Ugandan context to a Kentucky context, even if mom and dad are Americans. That's been a big transition. And uh, there's so many good things about it. You know, we're real close to grandparents and family and a lot of other fun things, Um, (laughs) Chick-fil-A. But it's interesting, there's some challenges. There's some real challenges. And uh, it's funny, the U.S. is not home for my people yet. And uh, so there is a cross-cultural element that's taking place. And some days we wake up and say, wow, thank you, Jesus, we're here. And there's other days we wake up and say, oh, Jesus, why are we here? And uh, so we'd love you to take a prayer card. There's a stack of them back there. Feel free. Take one for you. Take one for your kids or grandkids. Um, we'd love for you to be in prayer for our family as we kind of walk out. What does it mean to love Jesus in this new cross-cultural um, experience? Now, I want to just we can talk about storytelling and orality, or we can just do orality. And, uh, and I'd love to share a story. And it, it comes, conveniently, it comes from the gospel uh, reading this morning. couple of things by way of introduction before we start. Is a uh, you need to know is that when, when Israel disobeyed God and God allowed the Syrian Empire to come in and destroy the, the northern kingdom and carry them off, he, they left very few Israelites behind. They, they shipped the whole lot of them out of the country. And, uh, and then the Assyrians uh, transported a bunch of different groups into the region. And so the few remaining Israelites began to intermarry and intermingle with those foreigners, and you came up with a whole new group of people that affectionately became known as the Samaritans. And I say, I say affectionately a bit sarcastically. They were a mixed group, a mixed breed of people. And when the Jews came back, when God brought the Jewish people back from Babylon, they did not like that mixed group. They were persona non grata. And, uh, and so there was, a real, there was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. And for all practical purposes, the Jews kind of looked down their nose on the Samaritans. And so they were, they were, there was a real gap there. And they just the Jews considered themselves better, pure, more of God's people than kind of the mixed group. They weren't sure what all that was. That's important for our story today. The other thing that you need to know before we start is God gave very specific instructions to his people regarding all kinds of things including skin diseases like leprosy and there were certain rules if you developed leprosy you were sent out of the community you 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 had no in a sense you lost all value for the community and because the disease was so contagious you were banished from the group you could have no voice no you had no influence whatsoever and then if by some chance you thought you were getting better, there was a whole process. You had to go to the priest, show yourself to the priest, and then to heat, you had to go through a whole ceremonial process to, become, uh, to be declared clean. And only then were you allowed to kind of enter back into community life. I think that will help orient us as we, as we turn to our scripture here this morning. This is a true story. It comes from God's word and it goes like this. As Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he came to the region between Galilee and Samaria. And he entered into a certain village, and he was met by ten men with leprosy. And they stood at a distance and cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus saw them, and he said, go. Show yourself to the priest. And it was, as they were going, they were made well, cleansed. Now, it so happened that one of them, when he realized he had been cleansed, he returned, and falling at Jesus' feet, he praised God in a loud voice and thanked Jesus. And he... Was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were there not ten that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? Then Jesus said, Arise and go, your faith has made you well. And that's the end of the story. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we want to say thank you for your word and for the incredible privilege to be able to, to hear hear your word this morning and, to, and to, to be exposed to it. We don't take that for granted. We thank you for the incredible privilege to be able to worship freely this morning. No persecution. No blackout curtains on the doors or windows. Thank you for the gift of being able to jointly come together. Now, Jesus, in these few moments, could we pray the prayer of Samuel? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. What is it that you want to say to us as a community of faith as we seek to live out our yes to you in Huntsville, Alabama? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you heard, um, it's interesting to me listening to Lucy's story of Naaman and then hearing this story of the ten lepers. And right away you can pick up on some of the, there's, there's some overlap there, which I don't think is accidental. Um, right, it's interesting, you, both stories are about uh, people that have a, a disease called leprosy. Um, Interesting, both stories take place in the area or the region of Samaria. Curious. It's interesting, in both stories, the Naaman was told to go and wash, and the ten lepers are told to go and show. Go and show yourself to the priest. So in, in neither story does the healing happen immediately. There's a process. Healing happens, but it comes out of a process. And then, did you catch it? There's a a location theme in the stories. I missed it the first time I was walking through it. But it stood out to me, and I think it may, and I don't know quite, I'm still trying to unpack this and build some bridges myself, so bear with me. But it's interesting, did you notice in the story uh, that Lucy shared, where Gehazi, uh, he, he stows the loot, and then he sneaks back in, to present himself to Elijah, Elisha. Did you hear Elisha's question? Where have you been, Gehazi? That's a location question. And that same theme shows up in the, in the ten lepers story. Jesus asks, were there not ten that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are they? Where are you? Where are we this morning? And it's interesting, I find it fascinating, Jesus makes the choice, he's in an unexpected place. He's a Jew, a good Jew, a devout Jew, and we find, our, we find him in the story of the ten lepers, in a place we wouldn't expect to find him, among a people that were not his own, among a people that would have been considered other than, among a people that would have been considered outcasts or less than. Jesus is in an unexpected place in our story this morning. And I want to just pause there and ask the question, where are we this morning? Have any of us found ourselves in unexpected places? You say, Billy, what do you mean? Did you catch it in the Naaman story? Remember, he says, oh, don't make me go to the Jordan River. Are there not cleaner rivers in Syria? And Aram, I don't want to go and bathe here. These are dirty, foreign. This is a dirty, foreign place. Let me go home and at least bathe there. This is unexpected. That would be acceptable. Naaman found himself in an unexpected place. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you find yourself in an unexpected place in some area of your life? How's it going financially? Are you where you expected to be? What about in your marriage? Did you expect to be here at this season? Some of us have aging parents. Were we expecting to be here, taking care of them, and it requiring this much of us? Where are we this morning? I want to just ask that question and see if we could let it linger as we carry on in our story. Now, what happens? Jesus makes this decision. This story opens up. He's headed to where? To Jerusalem. And it says he came to that region, the border region, between Galilee, which is in the north, and it's all Jewish and Samaria. Now, just a little bit of quick geography, and you guys know this. Galilee's in the north. It's all Jewish. Jerusalem, which is where the temple is, and all the Jewish worship is there. And you could you could come, you could start down, and then you could walk around and come up underneath. You came on the outside of the Jordan River and come kind of up that way through the Jericho Pass. You guys remember that story. Or the other, and that way, it was a little bit longer, but it was safer. Why? Because you didn't have to go through Samaria. There was a more direct route. You could just come straight south to Jerusalem, but you had to go through Samaria, which means you had to go through the, the, the region, so to speak, of the people that were less than what? Than the Jews thought they were. I love this because the story opens up, and where do we find Jesus? He's at that crossroads. He can take the way around, or he can lead, him, his, he can lead his disciples on a cross-cultural journey into the region of Samaria. And I love this about Jesus. Because in some ways it would have been easier. He wouldn't have to worry about any sort of ritual things or having any sort of un- interactions with unclean people you know, that he'd have to figure out and take care of when he got to Jerusalem. He doesn't bother with any of that. He says, no, let's adventure. What do you say, boys? Let's take the Samaritan road. I love it how adventuresome Jesus is. And he does. He takes the Samaritan road, and he offers a cross-cultural experience to his disciples. Now I think this is important. I think we're going to miss and I, I wish I knew how to unpack it better for us. Jesus has the opportunity to do something where he can avoid cross-cultural exposure or he can expose himself to people, to customs and cultures that are different than his own. And guess what choice he makes? He says, I'm all in. Let me go the Samaritan road. And he takes his boys with him. And immediately what happens is immediately, in choosing the cross-cultural experience, he's exposed to need. You say, Billy, what do you mean? It's right there. He's got ten men that come out. And you remember leprosy, one of the things leprosy does is it kills the nerve endings in your body, so you can't, the, the nerve endings, the, the you can't feel pain. So oftentimes people, they, they would develop leprosy and not even realize it, you don't feel anymore. Which sounds good for a season, except the pain of like, when you get burned, you know to move your hand off the stove. But if you don't feel, you just leave your hand on the stove and the stove will burn your finger off, until you realize it. So oftentimes lepers, as, particularly as the disease continued, they would end up being very disformed or disfigured because they'd have all these issues that had happened to their bodies where, things had where the, you and I would know, oh, stop doing that, or oh, it hurts. They would just keep walking on a bad foot until literally their foot just started developing really, really big issues. So these are not 10 men with kind of like, you know, COVID masks on, it, that's not what we're talking about. These are ten men that literally are trying, their bodies, as far as, as we can imagine, are in various de- de- uh, degrees of decay and rot and deformity. So Jesus makes the choice to go cross cultural, and immediately he's met with need. And how big is the need? This is one leper? This is two lepers? Five lepers? Eight lepers? Nine lepers? He's got ten men that are getting as close as they can and still respect all the ceremonial laws that hold them at a distance. And they are desperate for help. There's no cure. There's no vaccine. If Jesus doesn't help these men, they will die horrific deaths because of the disease they're, they're suffering I remember when, uh, it's interesting, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this. Cross cultural experiences so often expose us to need. And I think it's one of the beautiful things about them. Now, it can be very uncomfortable. I remember one time I was in South Sudan, and it was early on. We had done up. We'd just finished up a, an orality conference, a storytelling training. And there was a woman named Martha who was a pastor. And uh, she invited us to come to her church after the conference. And so we finished up Friday or Saturday and stayed worshiped with her on Sunday morning. And uh, she had a big church. I mean, there was tons of people. But they didn't have a building. There was no church building. They just met under a huge mango tree. And uh, they had built a little fat, kind of like, a, like a, a banana fiber lean-to to provide some shade, and so, you know, I'm, I'm the visiting guest, and so I'm sitting up there in the front, and they had the youth do all kinds of cool, um, like, songs, and in Dinka culture, they revere the cows, and so it really, to, to become a Christian is to, it's a major shift to leave cow culture and come into Jesus culture. But uh, they have all kinds of, all their songs involve cows and horns and all kinds of things. So the, the youth had, had converted a bunch of songs, cattle songs, into, into Christian songs, worship songs. And uh, so they were, you know, they performed some of those. And it was just a neat experience. You know, it's like, wow, this is fun. And uh, God had given me a, a message from the paralytic, uh, Mark 2. And uh, you know, it was like, hey, this is exciting. This is going to be a fun, fun day together. I had just gotten up to preach, and I was doing kind of the, uh, you know, kind of the obligatory introduction, and this is who I am, and trying to find some connections. And I remembered I greeted this side of the audience, and as I got ready to move around as I was keep talking, I was moving over here to greet these people. I saw something out of the corner of my eye down the road here. Something that startled and it was one of those things where I saw it just out of my peripheral vision, but I—I I, I was trying to have, you know, I'm in speaker mode, I'm in preacher mode, so I'm trying not to do the whiplash thing and be like, "What is that?" You know, I'm kind of casually trying to like keep carrying on. What, what is that? Because for in my mind, what was walking up the road was a bloody skull, a head, and it was bloody. And I just remember being—it was like scary. So I'm thinking, you know, it's like kind of cash. It's like, and I'm kind of hoping to kind of what's going? What is that? And Sudan's had all kinds of issues. You know, I remember when we first got there, we would be driving. We had to drive up, and they had what they had cleared the road of landmines. But if you got out to go to the bathroom, you just had to go to the back of the truck to use the loo. You couldn't go to the side of the road because they had they didn't know how far out they had cleared the landmines, and if you went too far, you were in danger of get, stepping on a landmine. So it's this kind of place. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wild west kind of place. Well, I eventually made my way back around, and it was a woman. It was a woman walking up the road, and she made her way slowly to the back, and she sat down. And friends, I, she was missing this whole part of her face. And I don't mean the, like, it was here in the sense of, but all of this skin had, was gone. So you could just see. Her mouth was open. You could see all of her teeth. You could see her tongue. And it was just red. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what happened to her. I don't, know, I don't know the situation. I can imagine either she had been wounded or she had been shot or maybe assaulted. I don't know what had happened to her. But I do remember as kind of a, (laughs) I'm a visiting preacher, you know, I'm the missionary and I got got God's word for you. I just remember the incredible humility of being like, I I don't actually have anything to say to women that have had their faces blown off. Like, what, what do you say to a woman who's had her face blown off? I wonder if in some ways that's exactly what Jesus was encountering. He could have chosen the safe road, but instead he chose the cross-cultural road. And immediately he he encountered need. And for most of us, we spend most of our days saying, Jesus, I don't want to ever see that again. I don't want to be exposed to need. I like to try and insinuate my life so that I just stay away from it as much as possible. I'm certainly guilty of that. But not Jesus. And Jesus chooses the cross-cultural experience and exposes himself to people that need help. It's interesting, then, notice he sees them. <laughs> How many of us, it's been, you, know, you ever been there where it's like you're, you're downtown somewhere in an urban context and you see the person begging or asking for help? And what do we do is we, we're sitting there talking with our kids and we just pretend, what we, didn't, we just all agree kind of quietly, No one just act like the guy's, hungry guy standing outside the door next to dad's window isn't there. Have you ever done that? It's like we just pretend he's not there. Jesus doesn't do that either. He sees the ten men and they're crying out trying to get his attention. I just, I love him. Because what does he do is he says, he sees them, and then go and show yourself to the priest. Notice how respectful he is of kind of the religious structures of the day. I'm I'm intrigued by that. He doesn't kind of blow in. It's, I'm the Savior. There's There's nothing arrogant at all in Jesus. There's this incredible humility. And here we see a choice Jesus makes again. He doesn't instantaneously heal them. What's he do? Is he gives them some instructions. Go and show yourself to the priest. Same as in Naaman's story. Go and wash. There are times when God heals instantaneously or works miraculously in a moment. But there are also times... God works through process I find most often I want him to work immediately and at least in my life most oftentimes he chooses to use process and he inv- what is he doing he's inviting those men to make a choice are you going to stay here with lepers or are you going to try again and go expose yourself the potential for shame is incredible Go find the priest. Go, go, everybody will know. Everybody will watch you. What if, what if you're not healed? And again, it's like, oh, here he comes again. It's like, no, you're still, you're still sick, man. You're not getting better. There's no cure. What are you doing here again? All that was the potential humiliation waiting for these guys. And so they're faced with a choice. Go with what Jesus said. Or remain a leper. And I love it. They, they risk and they go. That line is so beautiful. And on the way, they were made whole. On the way, they were cleansed. They were healed. Now, let me just pause in our story this here. And I want to go on a little bit further. But before we do, let me just pause. And I just want to ask, let me just follow up with two thoughts. One is this. Jesus chose to take the cross-cultural way, expose both himself and his people to those that were in need. And then he chose to engage, see those that were in need and engage. I want to ask you this morning, where is God inviting you and I to do that? He said, Billy, I don't know anything about Samaria. That's, that's legit. That's fair. But remember... What does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to share the character of Jesus, which means we've got to follow his good example. And here we find a story. He's modeling something not just for his 12 disciples, but for disciples at Harvest Point like you and I. And I want to ask you this morning, where is it that God is stirring your heart to take a cross-cultural step? To have a cross-cultural relationship. To start with a cross-cultural conversation. What would it look like for you guys to put together a mission trip next summer? You guys could make that happen. COVID restrictions are dying down. Things are opening up. Would God want to send you guys somewhere as a church? There might be two or three or four or five of you all here this morning that need to head that up. You don't need to let Marshall put that take that on or Bruce. Why don't you step up this week, this morning, this week, this season? Why don't you invite your young people? Take some of your young people. Say, we want to give them a cross-cultural experience. Is it dangerous? Yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. But I can tell you, God's been faithful. I've had five kids living abroad for the last 20-plus years, almost. Not quite, almost. And it's interesting. He's been faithful to take care of my kids. Can you take care of your kids? Yep. Can you take care of your grandkids? Yep. And instead of standing in the way, you want to be the way maker for that trip. They're going to need money to go. Why don't you just buy that plane ticket? Just go ahead and do that. You be a part. Now some of you are saying, (laughs) Billy, my work schedule, I can't do something like that. That's fine. What about Monday nights at the prison? What about the crisis pregnancy center? What about the homeless shelter? What about the soup kitchen? What about a colleague at work? What about a neighbor in your neighborhood that doesn't look like the men and women, if we're going to follow Jesus, that means we got to be willing to do what he does. And in our story today, he made the hard choice and chose the Samaritan road, the cross-cultural experience, so he could be a part of impacting other people for the kingdom of God. Is God challenging Harvest Point to make similar choices this morning, this season? Now, some of you here this morning are saying, Billy, (laughs) I needed that, but Billy, I'm the leper. I'm the leper. There's a part of my heart that feels deformed and numb and and disfigured. I'm in a marriage that, that, for all practical purposes, is drying up and dying. One of my kids is lost, and I don't know what to do. I love the story. Jesus saw the need and he engaged. But then he invited the people to participate in what he was initiating in their lives. Could it be that maybe you and I are waiting for an immediate cure or reconciliation or for the other person to make the first step? And this morning God's saying, yes, but... Would you be willing to go and show? Would you be willing to go and wash? Would you be willing to begin taking some small steps of obedience and trust that I'll bring healing on the way? And you say, oh, Billy, I I cannot reach out to them again. I can't bear the rejection again. Billy, I, I, I can't forgive them again. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But are you, would you be willing this morning to let Jesus into that place? That no. Would you give him even that no and say, I can't make that no a yes, but I'm willing for you to turn that no into something else. I can't do it on my own. But if you can do something with it, yes. I think Jesus will take whatever initiative, whatever step of obedience you can give him, he can work with that. Are you with me? Whatever step of obedience that you can give him this morning, he can work with that. And he can bring transformation and healing to your heart and my heart, just like he did to those ten men. Now, I love in the story, The reaction of this guy. (laughs) Remember, there's ten that are healed. We don't know what the other nine do, which is actually heartbreaking. We know they never came back to Jesus. Excuse me. We know in this story they never come back to Jesus. So they received from Jesus. They took their blessing, if I can use good Ugandan language. They took their blessing in their pocket, and they left. Men and women, there is a world of people that want to take what God gives them without ever looking back. There is a world of Christians that want to take the security or the prosperity or the reassurance or the promises of God, but without any further relationship. And it's interesting Jesus is critical. Jesus questions. And again, he's not harsh, but he is curious. Where are the other 9? weren't there 10? Shouldn't there be 10 here? Shouldn't we have a, shouldn't we have doubled almost doubled our discipleship force? I had plans for all 10 now only one, now only one will know something more that I have for them. And you see this Samaritan, and it's this incredible picture. It reminds me of the woman who poured, the, the Mary who pours oil on Jesus. It's not this kind of casual, well, here's a little bit. I'll, I'll save the rest. This isn't a reserved, oh, yes, thank you for my salvation. Oh, thank you for healing me. This isn't a reserved, a real reluctant, grateful heart. This is someone who is profusely grateful. He's shouting in a loud voice, that awkward loud voice, where it's kind of like, oh my goodness, be quiet. It's like blind Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. And remember, they tell him to be quiet, and he shouts all the more. It's that awkward loud voice. But he can't help it because Jesus has done something to alter his reality. His life will never be the same because he encountered Jesus Christ. And he can't help but come forward. He can't help but come back and say, I am so grateful. Notice the location again. Come back to that theme. We don't find him, well, I'm really grateful. This has been a real blessing, and I can see how now I'll be able to serve the Lord. There's none of that. He's on his face at Jesus' feet in utter devotion and it's this incredible mixture of gratitude and humility and worship and I love Jesus is the only one to return The Samaritan? This foreigner? Is there no one else? And in a very subtle but beautiful way, Jesus lifts up the foreigner, the cultural other, the Samaritan, and presents him as a model for his 12 disciples and for disciples like you and me. One of the incredible blessings of living cross-culturally, of having had opportunities to live abroad, is you get to learn. You don't just get to offer Jesus to other people, but you get to learn from their expressions of faith. And some of us are poor this morning. Because we've decided, that's that's, that's too awkward. I don't do that. Those people scare me. I I, I have children. It's like some of us are poor this morning because we haven't chosen those cross-cultural connection points. You say, Billy, what do you mean? We haven't been able to learn. We haven't had the opportunity to learn how other people, other cultures are worshiping, are praising, and are following hard after Jesus. Now, do I have to do it their way? No, not necessarily. But my life is richer when I can learn from my brother or sister how they worship. And I wonder if Jesus is doing that. This isn't the Samaritan. Okay, fine, that's okay. No, no, no. It's like, Jesus, arise and go. Jesus lifts him up in front of everyone, in front of all of his disciples. Here is the model. Arise and go. Your faith has healed you. The one who is honored is the cultural other. Gentlemen, have faith like he did, is what Jesus is. Saying. Jesus is saying that to his disciples. Could he be saying something similar to his disciples here this morning? And if you and I don't make the hard choice, take that initial step to have a cross cultural paradigm to say, I want to be in, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm uncomfortable, I'm even a little afraid, whatever it is, we're going to miss out on opportunities. To not just offer Jesus, but also learn how others have experienced Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, just a couple of questions as we close. What's the cross-cultural road, the Samaritan road, if you will, that Jesus is inviting you on? There's a group of people. There's a particular individual. There's an upcoming ministry opportunity. And God's stirring something in your heart. I remember I was at seminary. very first week I was at seminary, somebody told me about a small group that one of the professors led. And every Monday night, they'd go to the prison and preach. And I kind of thought, well, that kind of sounds like a fun thing. I'd like to learn more. So I called up the prof. His name was Matt Friedman. And I uh, called up Matt Friedman, and he shared with me, and after at the end, he said, yeah, we go Monday night, preach, and he said, you know, sometimes they only give us a few minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. It's about a 45-minute drive out. He said, we meet in the parking lot on Monday nights. we would love to have you come. I said, hey, I'd like to learn more about that. Could I, you know, try it out this Monday night? And Matt responded right away. He said, you know what, Bill, it's not that kind of thing where you kind of try it out. You're either in or out. So if you want to come, come on Monday night, and I'll plan on you making it a commitment. And if you don't, then that's fine Gosh. <laughs> But I wonder if that's how most of us respond to these kind of things. Well, sure, I'll I'll try it out. When the truth is God's already talked to our hearts and we know we're supposed to get involved. Now's the time. Let's just go ahead and take that step. What would it look like for you and your family to choose a cross-cultural experience? A cross-cultural relationship? Or even just start with a cross-cultural conversation. Some of us this morning need to be grateful. You say, oh, Billy, I love this season. We're coming up to Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. Oh, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I really am. God's really blessed me. I'm curious. Let me me just, my, uh, somewhere, I don't know, in high school, somewhere in high school, my dad discovered gratitude. (laughs) And I say discovered because he just started talking about being thankful. And dad was thankful for everything. And it became obnoxious. It's like, I'm a punk high school kid. It's like, dad, I don't want, I'm not really grateful. So it's kind of, it was funny. Dad could find gratitude all over, things he was thankful for. And we did a little horseback ride and growing up as a kid, we'd be out on a trail and dad would start being thankful for the colors of the leaves or the way sunshine was coming through the trees for the chance to be with the horses. It's like it just he just started for safety on the road. And and it's funny, I've seen him, I've watched him develop this gratitude muscle. And as an extended family now, anytime you literally can't talk about Thanksgiving or gratitude without making kind of a joking comment about my dad, my dad has kind of become, that's become like his one, his one platform. He doesn't have any other anymore. It's just be thankful. My mom's had some health issues this year and uh, in April, May, they were trying to figure out, they they diagnosed her with, uh, uh, they thought maybe it was breast cancer. She's already had that once. And they said, no, 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 it's not breast cancer. It's ovarian cancer. And uh, my grandmother died of ovarian cancer. And then they said, no, 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 it's not ovarian cancer, it's, a, it's colon cancer. I said, okay, it's not, oh, Jesus, help us. So it's this huge, emotionally traumatic several weeks and season for my extended family. And uh, it's interesting, you know what my dad's one refrain was? We're going to choose to be thankful. Well, God brought us through last time. Well, that was a good appointment. Well, thank you, Jesus, we were able to get that scan. Well, thank you, Jesus, the doctor met with us today. Well, thank you, Jesus, it's not ovarian cancer. Well, thank you, Jesus, it's not breast cancer again. He just kept being thankful. Dad, do you realize how serious this is? She's going to die, and I'm going to be thankful I've had 50 years with her. If I were to diagnose my dad, I could tell, excuse me, if I were to identify my dad, he would identify as a Samaritan. He's a grateful I want to ask us here this morning, how would you identify? As as a Samaritan? And the truth is, I think most of us would. Yes, I'm a grateful person. I really am. I've been really blessed. But I want to ask it this way. How would your spouse identify you? Would your spouse identify you as a grateful person? How would your children identify you? Or your grandchildren? Would they identify you as a grateful person? Have they seen that modeled? Or lived out? I don't mean at the end of November. I mean this afternoon. I'm going to be real practical. There's some of us that need to this afternoon. You can go home and use a journal or you can just pull out your phone and do it right now. You need to message yourself 10 things you're grateful for. And if you need help, you can start with your pastors this morning and their lives. You can start with this community and that we don't have the doors locked for fear of those that would persecute us. You can start with the beautiful colors and the change in seasons. So that'll, get, that'll at least get you down three. You've only got seven left. Don't wait till the end of November to do your due. Well, I'm real thankful for my family and for the love of God. Don't, don't play that way. That counts as nine. The nine that didn't show back up. One of the things we get to be thankful for as a family is that we have U.S. passports. And there's a lot of issues here in the U.S., I understand. And I know we could talk politics, and we'd all probably take up arms at one another and do different go different directions. But it's funny, one of the things we have learned about being abroad is we can be thankful for an American passport. What are you thankful for? What do you need to be thankful for? What would it look like if your Thanksgiving was a little disruptive this season? Living abroad, having those cross-cultural experiences gives us opportunities to see things from a different perspective. And it's overwhelming and exhausting many times, but it is an awesome and incredible proof. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful my kids have lived most of their lives outside of the states because they've got a perspective on the world. I wouldn't trade that for anything, even if coming back to Kentucky feels like a challenge, many days. Men and women, what's God calling you to? What Samaritan Road? What expression of gratitude? You don't wanna leave here today without having responded the way that leper did, with gratitude and worship. Can I have the band come up, and we'll sing another song, but would you guys close and worship with me, or bow and worship with me?